0: Hello and welcome back to Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster, and this week we are talking trains with author Todd DeFeo, and Todd has written three books with the History Press, including the Western and Atlantic Railroad, Memphis, Clarksville, and Louisville Railroad, and the Northeast Corridor, which is his latest book and will be the main topic of conversation today. Todd DeFeo has studied railroads since growing up alongside the Northeast Corridor in New Jersey. He is the editor of railfanning.org and founder of the DeFeo Group. The images that help make up the visual history in this book come from some of the many libraries, museums, and organizations dedicated to preserving railroad history, the archives of railfanning.org, and the author's collection. Todd, thanks for joining me. Yeah, glad to be here. All right, Todd, the beginning of your love of trains and rail history began with the Northeast Corridor, the subject of the book. Can you tell us about that and then also give us a definition of rail fanning for those who don't know?
1: Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Yes, I really began watching trains uh, along the Northeast Corridor. uh, I grew up in a a town, Metuchen, New Jersey, which is uh, located along the main line um, on the the corridor, which is today uh, Boston to Washington, D.C. I used to go down, would watch trains come in, uh, Befriended some of the conductors, um, used to get uh, tickets from them, and um, really just became fascinated with the whole idea of trains and um, everything about it. And As I uh, grew up, I got more interested in the history of it and understanding why rail lines are located where they are, how the uh, history has evolved over the years, um, and really just how they came into uh, to fruition. And I think that's actually a good segue into the idea of what is rail fanning, because I don't think there is, and this is, I think, what, actually what the beauty of it is, is I don't think there's a single definition of what rail fanning is. And what I mean by that is anybody who has an interest in trains can make rail fanning whatever they want it to be. So it could be anything from going out and watching trains. A lot of people um, tie in photography to it. They like to take pictures of trains. Um, could be riding trains. I uh, will probably don't mean, you know, hoboing across the country, which is uh, illegal and dangerous that going and finding tourist trains uh, for example um taking passenger trains um, we do have some in this country amtrak as an example uh different commuter rail lines as well um it, it could be as simple also as exploring the history of railroads which is what i've uh, gotten into over the years and been um uh, um interested in just understanding you know how trains came to be how they've evolved over times um as well with that is um you know why railroads are located where they are for example if you go to small towns today they might have a train line that runs through it might run through the heart of the city why is it there what was the history behind it so i i think the, again with really the beauty of of ralph is you can make it whatever you want it to be
0: yeah and you know and this is part of the conversation part of the podcast it's interesting that you say that because just thinking you know right here where you know i live at in charleston you know, you have CSX, you know, bringing in freight, Northfolk, Southern. Um, you know, they're, they're taking freight away from the port of Charleston. Um, they're bringing in cars because uh, we have car manufacturing that happens here uh, in South Carolina. But, you know, that starts off early in the railroading history here in the South. And that's why those railroads are here because they're trying, because South Carolina or Charleston kind of becomes a dying port. And they realize that the future in reviving the port of Charleston. And, it, and also for Savannah is rails. Um, and that's why those rails started here. So you're absolutely right about you know that and about the history of why those rails are there and why some of the rails are still uh, where they are today.
1: Absolutely. And you've got a great railroad history in South Carolina and uh, some of the earliest in the country, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's a great way to part, point out. And then, you know, the rail fanning, your definition of it having many definitions, if you just go online. And I know we're kind of going off track, but like I said, it's author conversations. You know, that can happen in a conversation. Uh, If you go online and you just type in, uh, you know, trains and you search for videos, so many people have so many videos of just a train coming through a town just because they love uh, having having images of these rails coming in. And they know the names and the schedules of these trains. And they're like old friends, uh, something they rely on coming in. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. I,
1: it is. And I think when you get to the, the history piece of it, I mean, there's endless ways to, to focus on it. There's endless avenues to go down and, and explore and study. And I mean, if you look at you mentioned CSX and Norfolk Southern, two class one railroads today, they have deep history. I mean, um, you know, that goes back um, many you know decades at this point in time. You can go back to, um, for example, my the first book I wrote, Arcadia. Was about the Western and Atlantic Railroad, mm-hmm. which is today part of CSX yeah. Transportation, and and you can go down all these different avenues and focus on short lines, you know, maybe a spur or a branch line. It could be a railroad like the Western and Atlantic Railroad. I mean, you just there's there's endless ways to uh, explore that history. Yeah,
0: it's insane. And then also, I mean, some of the short lines today too offer, like you said, for tourists. Uh, Cordill Georgia, I just found out yesterday has a you know once a year I think where you can ride that rail. Mm -hmm. Um, some old Pullman cars and into the caboose. Um, you, Duluth, Georgia has a great railroad museum. Savannah has a great railroad museum. Uh, the Blue Ridge Railway, uh, to go on. Um, just some examples in Georgia that we know of so many ways to get out and explore trains. And I don't really know anybody who they might not be into it as much as we are, you and I, but I don't know anybody who says I don't like trains in some way.
1: Uh, I, you know, I don't I don't see how you couldn't like trains personally, yeah. but that, that's me. And I, I get that. <laughs> that's just my background and uh, what my, my love and my passion is. But, yeah, I, I think there's you know, I think if you if you have any interest in history in and the, the country's history in particular, railroads are such an important aspect of that, really from the 1830s onward. I mean, it's shaped where towns are situated today. We look at interstates today. Sometimes they parallel railroads. And the reason that they ran where they did was because of of railroads. You know, I'm just outside of Atlanta, and as a perfect example, why is Atlanta where it is today? Because of the railroad.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed another author about the hidden history of old Atlanta, mm-hmm. and it's just you know even before the railroads came, there, it was a city that was just because where it is, so many trails led to that area. And that's why the railroad folks were like, hey, there's already all these great trails and people already see this as a spot to come together. And it was, you know, the perfect location uh, to have railroads at. And just the history of railroads in that city alone is mind-blowing. And and I just feel like it's fitting now that the Texas itself is up at the Atlanta History Center. Um, For those that don't know, that's part of the great uh, railroad chase in Civil War history that happened. It is. Happened on the Western
1: and Atlantic Railroad.
0: Yeah. And it's just as a a perfect home for it, I think, the Atlanta History Center. Um, It is. It is. And you
1: can see the other locomotive that uh, was involved in that, the general locomotive. mm -hmm. is at the uh, Southern Museum of Civil War and Locomotive History in Kennesaw.
0: Yeah. That's a a great thing, too, if you're into Civil War history, just go visit the Kennesaw Mountain Battlefield and then go see that. It's a good doubleheader for history in the same day um absolutely this to show like some nerdiness that was one of my in my wife's first dates back in 2008 was doing that um, fantastic so yeah okay well we kind of got off chasing rabbits so let's get yeah, back yeah. On no the track. that's all right that's <laughs> yeah that's all right um so the line now runs between the nation's capital and boston but like you said let's look at how railroads came together because that wasn't you know always the case it kind of starts to get pieces here and there to come together so how does this puzzle come to completion in a way? I know it's a big, Ab- long story, but maybe <laughs> kind of give us a little summary of it. It
1: is. I'll give you the short, uh, the, the Cliff Notes version, so to speak. Um, and I think actually, you know, when I got into, the, <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted to to focus on the Northeast Corridor again, I, I grew up watching trains in Metuchen, and was interested in how did, that was actually my question, how did this happen? You know, they built in one fell swoop, or, you know, what exactly, how did this railroad come to be? And and what it turns out is there were a lot of little railroads, and the way railroads um, originated and tended to be in the early days of history is they would focus on on small little sections, and so you might have a railroad that would build, um, and, you know, it, it wasn't they, did, they didn't just you know start building in, in DC and working their way up to Boston. So you might have a there are a couple of railroads, for example, in New Jersey that uh, built across the state of New Jersey. There was a, a railroad that built, um, you know, across the river into Philadelphia. There was a railroad that built into inside of Philadelphia, and then south of Philadelphia, you had all these little railroads that built small little sections, and they were really important to a lot of the communities that they passed through. I mean, you know, New Jersey and Pennsylvania and these other states as well. And what happened over years is sometimes these railroads were profitable, and sometimes they weren't profitable, and quite often in when you look at railroad history, is a lot of railroads would go bankrupt. And you'd have other people who might see opportunities uh, to purchase these railroads and consolidate some of these shorter lines. And they you know, might take two or three shorter lines and suddenly you start getting a decent sized line. And ultimately that's what happened with the Northeast Corridor. It was never really intended to be a single railroad, but it became part of a, a, a giant network. And ultimately what you see happen is, is a couple major railroads that uh, over time came in and started purchasing all these different segments um, and one of them was the Pennsylvania Railroad yeah. um, which was a great historical railroad um, operated um, as his name was suggested Pennsylvania but ultimately was really the one that I, I would argue helped make the northeast corridor what we think of it today for example they built the tunnels into New York City from New Jersey they built the original famous Penn Station Pennsylvania station we have a, a version of it today um, but you know, they really shaped the railroad. They were also the ones that electrified it, which was really a huge change um, on this entire corridor. And they um, also used it to, for for them, to give them an, an entranceway into uh, Washington D.C.
0: Wow! Very forward-thinking railroad. Yes, <laughs> they you know
1: they they were, and I mean, if you think of some of the technology they did, um, the idea of, you know, for years. People wanted to build a rail connection from New Jersey to New York City. And we think about it today, and it seems simple, right? Yeah. Okay, you know, just build a, build a bridge, build a tunnel, do something. Well, that was a, <laughs> easier said than done. And people had a lot of schemes and, and ideas for how they might build a bridge across the river, and none of them came to fruition. There's uh, you know, a lot of reasons for why they didn't necessarily come to fruition. So for the longest time, they would use ferry boats, and they would have ferries operate from New Jersey to New York City. Well, uh, eventually, the, some of the executives of the Pennsylvania Railroad, they knew there was a better way to do it, but what they ultimately realized is you could build a tunnel underneath the river, and they, in the early part of the 20th century, they tunneled from New Jersey into New York City. They went around and bought a huge amount of land that enabled them to build a, a massive station, which is Penn Station, which uh, stood for many years, but unfortunately was torn down in the 1960s, and it was really a, a really innovative innovative solution to be able to build an entire rail network into New York City. But as part of that, they also realized that they couldn't use steam trains. It, it wouldn't work in the tunnels. People would uh, you know choke on all the steam and exhaust. So as part of it, what they did is they figured out a way to uh, electrify the railroad, and that ultimately led to electrification of the entire Northeast Corridor. It, it took some time. It didn't happen overnight, as these things never do, but uh, ultimately that was their, their end result.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. That also answers one of the questions I had later on. Um, just incredible! Just the ingenuity when you put your mind to it. When it when a company, a, a nation puts their mind, a states working together, what you can accomplish. Uh, it it gives you goosebumps when you think about when you look at something like that. Uh, it's it really says something about the human spirit. I think uh, it, the massive it does. undertaking, especially when you think about the time period, Todd, in which they did it. Um you think about you know early 20th century you think well that was just 100 years ago the type of equipment they had 100 years ago isn't like the type of equipment we have today um it, it was di- it was not anywhere near as sophisticated as what we had it was a different work environment for it, these men it, to build this tunnel
1: it was um and the other thing they um, also had which is maybe the actual driving force behind it was uh, determination to make it happen. And uh, railroads uh, were effectively, if you were successful at a railroad, you were uh, more or less a printing press. (laughs) You could put your own money, uh, sometimes literally. Um, (laughs) And and they were, uh, (laughs) there was a a lot of money to be had. And so these were expensive ideas that they had, you know, building a tunnel. Um, And and you're right, we look at it today and think, oh, that's easy, right? You think of maybe, Maybe the tunnel has a great example between mm. um, England and France, right? We think we have these big tunnel boring machines and, you know, it takes some time, but, you know, you, you press the button and the thing goes to work. And, you know, eventually we built a tunnel uh, between two countries. Um You know, but I, I think when you right, you reverse or, or turn back the clock a little bit to the technology that we had, I mean, it wasn't that simple. And I mean, it was easy to say, oh, we'll just build a tunnel. And, but, you know, how do you actually make it happen? Yeah, And how do you have the, uh, the resources to to make that happen is really incredible
0: you just take so many things for granted now that you don't it's true go back and just look at the kind of technology that they would have had but you know one of my favorite speaking of pioneering things one of my favorite images and i emailed this to you yesterday talking about it is uh john stevens at the new jersey railroad to show people that is a reliable form of transportation he actually built some rail in his yard to Mm -hmm. show people i mean that's that's putting everything on the line. I mean, you're putting this in your yard where people can see you riding a, uh, I guess it was a small scale locomotive around in your own yard. That's, that's incredible. That's and also great marketing on his part too.
1: It is. And I, I think that gets back to the whole idea of it's one thing to know there's a better way to do something, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And you know, I think we can talk about that in business right? there's always a better way to, to do whatever it is we're trying to accomplish, but it's, it's another thing to not just say there's a better way to do it to actually show people if there's a better way to do it. And I think people tend to be visual. We like to see mm-hmm. something if we're talking about it and what's, what's a better, what's a better visual than an actual real life locomotive operating and you can actually see how this thing works, how it operates and, and what the potential is for it. So I, I think if you haven't, if you're somebody like, like him and you have an idea and you have a real belief, Let's take it to the next step.
0: Yeah, and who wouldn't want to have one of those in their front yard, you know?
1: You know, I'm I'm, I'm looking to put one in, uh, in now. I'm not sure the Homeowners Association will, uh, will like that, though.
0: Well, thankfully, I don't have a Homeowners Association, <laughs> so I'm thinking about putting one in anyway. At least maybe a <laughs> garden scale one for my kids, so it might be fair, good. Fair um, enough. You know, maybe let them ride it around. Well, it has to be bigger than a garden scale. But, um, but so there's one train that you talk about in the book, and I want to know if it's the same one I've seen at the Smithsonian, the John Bull. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. So the John Bull, you can go see this still at the Smithsonian Museum. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the John Bull? I I, I love this train, this locomotive.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, one of the early locomotives, um, and it was – Sorry, a like...
0: curveball. I was just looking through the book again, and I saw it. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no,
1: no, for, for sure. Um, yeah, operating in the 1830s for the uh, the very first time, and actually what I think is, is fascinating about it, is this this locomotive operated for years. Or so we think about the 1830s, this is a, a really early technology, um, some of the early years of of railroading. Um, but it continued to operate, really, through the 1870s. And I think actually one of the other pictures, um, for example, the one right under it, uh, uh, there's a, an illustration that, uh, that appeared in the uh, a publication and in eighteen seventy it actually operated uh, from Jersey City to Chicago, which is an incredible run when you think about it just on its own. But by that point in time, this is a 40-year-old locomotive. This is almost antiquated technology, but it really is a, a great visual of an early locomotive. And unfortunately mm-hmm. in when you look at rare history, you know we have some some great old locomotives, but we don't have that many from these really early years. Of railroading, they just you know where it's when they had locomotives and they hit the end of their useful life, they scrapped them.
0: Yeah. Sometimes
1: they took the boilers off, used them for other purposes, but generally, most early locomotives did not survive. And so, the the great thing about a locomotive like this is that it did survive and it's still around today. And I think that's a way when you see it, you can actually get a, a you know it's a tangible piece of history, right? Yes. It's not just something in a book we said, oh, okay, you know, this locomotive did this or did that, right? You can actually see it, and you can realize that you know there were people up there that were engineering the locomotive. It was pulling coaches I and mean, it was a, an actual um, artifact that, uh, that really helped shape the country.
0: Yeah. And it's, I think they, maybe it was a late nineties, early two thousands. It was taken out one last time on the rails. I can't re- I don't have that information in front of me right now, but I mean, it's, it's in great shape. They, the Smithsonian, of course it's a Smithsonian. They're going to take care of their artifacts. Uh But if you, Get a chance to go see it at the American History Museum. Of course, everything there is amazing, uh, but absolutely, you got to go. You got to go see it. So, Todd, you talked a little bit about stations. Let me ask you about stations. Because growing up, I grew up in Griffin, Georgia, south of Atlanta, and I always heard that you should have seen the old station in Atlanta, the Union <laughs> Station in its heyday. Sure. And I've seen the station in Denver, and the wonderful station in Vancouver, British Columbia, in Canada. And rail stations themselves had gone through an evolution over time. So do you have a favorite station from any area on the Northeast line?
1: Well, I'm going to say I'm a touch New Jersey, but that's probably an unfair <laughs> station to point out uh, for obvious reasons. Um, you know, I think favorite ones, it, it's interesting you mentioned, because there are, we th- throughout the country, we did have great stations. And of course you mentioned Atlanta. Um, in my book on the Western Atlantic Railroad, uh, there's a lot of uh, pictures of the Union Station station. Um, the various iterations of Union Station in Atlanta. And I think it is a a great miss to not have, you know, a central location like that. Um, And I would say the same thing about Penn Station in New York City. I would have loved to have seen the original Penn Station. Of course, there is a a station named Penn Station, and I'll leave it right there with the (laughs) the station there. What I think is actually really interesting about stations um, along the railroad is – If we go today, if you're to ride the northeast corridor today, and I'll just use New Jersey because I'm I'm most familiar with that section of the railroad, it's effectively a commuter line today, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were in Metuchen, it's a a small little station house, but people don't use it like we used to, right? You just show up, you know, your train's coming up, it's waiting on the platform, and the train gets there, get on and go. We don't really think of of stations as being as important to the community as they were. But when all these stations were built, I mean, it wasn't necessarily... You know urban urban sprawl or development you know all along the line they were really more distinct communities in a lot of ways and so the station house and, and stations were really important to those communities it's where freight would come in and mail would move over the railroad in addition to passengers as well um so they really evolved in an interesting way and, and a lot of times in these different communities tracks ran at the street level and as you could imagine as we got more traffic on our streets, uh, with, there's, a, there's a big problem with trains and vehicle traffic and pedestrian traffic and, and everything. Um, so what I think is actually really fascinating, if you go to a station like Raleway in New Jersey, um, and Elizabeth's like this as well, the Pennsylvania Railroad went in and actually elevated the tracks. And and so we think about, you know they didn't just lay the tracks down and that's it and everything developed around it. They had to go back over time rebuild their line and actually elevate it up and they built these massive viaducts in a lot of different areas they think of them in, in um, delaware as well and other places along the line but you had to go back and, and reimagine and re-engineer the railroad and so there's great places today if you ever think of, <clears throat> we're always a great example if you're there you're thinking why are the tracks up in the air like this you know how is this <laughs> station why does it sit like it does it's because they had to go back and you can actually see the stonework some of the original stonework that was put in hmm. more than 100 years ago at this point in time. And and it's incredible to realize, you know, we're using modern trains today, right? Yeah. We have the Acela train you know, flying through these stations today. On some of this infrastructure, yes, I mean, it's been replaced and upgraded in some places over time. But on viaducts that are, you know, north of 100 years old at this point in time. And, and it is incredible yeah. if there's really a testament to it. It's the idea that these people crafted this stuff and it's still in use today.
0: They made it to last. That was the idea. It yeah. It shows the craftsmanship too, and the pride and craftsmanship that was had in the work too. I mean, they're you know, working for pride and what they did, I believe, it, it, at that time and period place. I'm not saying they don't people don't do that now. I'm just I'm talking about the people who made that viaduct. I mean, it's just incredible the craftsmanship it, that goes in.
1: It's true. And I mean I think you could even go up the line a little bit in the, the tunnels um, under the river. Uh, for example, um, and this is a big debate today on the railroad, these are 110 year old tunnels and our modern trains are are still using them. And that's where all the commuters into and out of New York City are, you know, into the New Jersey side of it at least, um, are going through that same infrastructure.
0: Wow. So let's talk let's talk a little bit bigger picture because so you have a commuter lines on the Northeast railroad, and you you know, you have your trains that will take you around the city in the Northeast and you know, and Atlanta has a, has MARTA, but you also have Amtrak taking you from city to city around the country. You, we have freight trains, but what do you see being the future of rail service in the United States, Todd? And cause we, we, st- we keep hearing more and more about it. For instance, I'm actually, cause I missed the whole Nancy Hanks buyout thing. Cause I pull a curtain back a little bit. I, I do, I'm doing a little bit of model railroad and a little bit now. And I missed by the Nancy Hanks, which is a train my parents rode on when they were growing up. Um, so I'm having to build one myself. Um, but, you know, in Georgia, they've talked about bringing back the Nancy Hanks, which, which went from Savannah to Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. They're talking about reviving that train. So would it would be, I guess, the Nancy Hanks 3. Um, well, I know it would be the Nancy Hanks 3. Um, but they've been talking about in Georgia, bringing back that for years. We hear about a nationwide um, rail system going in. What do you think is the future of rail in Atlanta? Or in Atlanta, rather, in the United States? Well, you know, if
1: I could, uh, <laughs> if I could accurately predict this, I could uh, maybe make millions off of it. But I, yeah, it's a good well, that's point. the thing. It's, it's been question. debated so
0: much. <laughs> it has. But
1: ultimately, it has. what would happen? Um, what could actually be really interesting um, is, given where we are um, right now, uh, with COVID and um, how workforces could be shifting and, and people going to working more remote, it actually could be really interesting to see if we come back in a year from now, if if perspectives on that will change a little bit. Um, so I'm kind of throwing that as a little bit of a, a caveat in there mm. to uh, uh, basically say, why well, everything I'm going to predict here is going to be probably totally inaccurate. Um, and I'll explain it on COVID like, uh, like everybody else. Um, but I, what I think is actually really going to be interesting uh, you, you're seeing certain corridors throughout the country. Um, you know, Florida, for example, um, is building some high-speed rail. Um, they're looking to, to extend it up to Orlando, um, up to the airport there. It's going to run from uh, uh, basically the Miami area, the Palm Beach area, up to uh, up to Orlando. And, and you see projects similar in, in Texas has one. California um, has different types of projects. So I think what you see is a lot of corridors um, where rail makes sense. And, and I think the Northeast Corridor is a best example of it. If you look at taking the train, Philadelphia to New York City, as an example, mm. if you have to travel between those two cities, you could what, fly, you could drive, or you take the train. I think it's so close you may be able to take an Uber at this point in time. But <laughs> you could, uh, probably a little bit expensive, but yeah. but you, know, you could drive or fly your other real options. Well, if you don't have a car, you know, it's going to be expensive, and you have to pay all the tolls, and it's um, you might not want to drive in, in an urban environment, for example. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why you might not want to drive. Flying is going to be expensive as well, and it's not going to be any quicker, even though it's a, a short distance. Plus, when you think about it, where are the airports located? They're not in the center of the city, Yeah. but the train stations typically are in a an area that's you know uh, near the business district and, and easy to get you from pretty much anywhere in town. Um, so I think there's a, a great interest in that and when, you, when you talk about rail, as a, a mode of transportation is because of where the stations are located, right? You can go from the heart of New York City to the heart of Philadelphia or the heart of the nation's capital or the, the heart of Boston on a train. And it takes you somewhere where you're probably gonna end up. Whereas if you fly, if you flew from DC to New York, if you've, you know landed at LaGuardia, for example, you still gotta get on a cab. going to be a 45 minute ride to wherever you're going, if you're going to Manhattan, to anywhere you're gonna end up going. But mm-hmm. if you get off a of Penn Station, yeah, you get off the Amtrak train, hop on the subway, and, okay. and it's potentially a lot quicker. So I, th- I think the idea when we look at trains as a, a method of transportation, I think there's a, a huge benefit to that piece of it. So if you were to do Atlanta, for example, it is a great example. We, don't, we have this, a central station at this point. We've had a lot of discussion over it um, over what, probably the last 20 years or so about where we were actually probably even longer than that at this point. Yeah, when I was in middle
0: might... school, I heard about it, and that was back in the yeah. 90s.
1: Yeah, sorry. It's, it's – um, Uh, a lot of discussion, and uh, I think there's an obvious, uh, you know, funding question that tends to come into this, because it's easy to say, okay, well, we got the tracks wherever, you know, running where we want people to go, but then it becomes an ownership question, and, you know, you can operate passenger trains over freight tracks. It's not quite as easy as it it might seem, even though we have a lot of the infrastructure in place. Um, So I think, but I think as a mode of transportation, I think um, everybody's interested in it, um, and I think there's um, environmental arguments um, in favor of it that. You could could be made about benefits in terms of a, a type of transportation. Um, so I, I think there's there's definitely interest in it. Um, I do think uh, where we are right now with with COVID um, could potentially shape where that that goes. But um, I do think there's a a, a lot of potential for uh, different types of of rail transport in, in different cities. Um, in terms of a national network, I mean we have Amtrak. At the moment, which you can go a lot of places. I mean, Amtrak yeah. doesn't go everywhere in the country. Uh, there's obviously limitations to it. But um, where I think trains work particularly well is when you've got uh, a corridor where they're, they're heavily traveled. People want to go from point A to point B, whatever those points are. So, from California, you know, LA to San Francisco, as another example of, of where you might want to go on the train, where it's yeah. you can make a dedicated corridor so it can compete with other other forms of transportation.
0: Yeah, and it sure would be nice to be able to hop on a train from Charleston to Savannah. This, uh, a faster train, you know, Amtrak, and I had to. That, yeah. was, <laughs> it was more of a daily one than having to wait a week to get to on. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, and that's
1: uh, you know the and that's the other problem too. I think with some of these trains is um, also the timing of it. Um, yeah. I'm not sure exactly the timetable of that one, but sometimes uh, you know, we have the Crescent in and out of Atlanta, and I can think if you're going to Charlotte, for example, you have think you get in at 3 a.m., which <laughs> is um, you know, if you're <laughs> one of those uh, night owl people, maybe it's not as big a deal. But you know, if you don't want to necessarily be uh, getting off the train and doing a lot at three AM, it's a uh, it's a bit of a challenge.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's if we really care about it, it's something we could tackle. It's just getting enough people to care about it. So, well, not necessarily even just getting enough people to care about it; getting the people with the money to get behind it too. Um, just getting everybody's hearts in the right place. Uh, but I'm yeah, sure and we- it is. I sure would like it. I think you're right about the COVID thing too. I mean, it's, you know, to see where we are, if we're more, if we're not as much of a mobile society, I think it will help, uh, help get it going.
1: Uh, yeah, it is. And uh, you know, there's a lot of different types of trains too. When we say, say trains, I mean, you've got high speed trains, you've got, uh, you know, commuter trains, for example. So I think that even becomes some of the question of, um, in and out of Atlanta, for example, I mean, is it a mix? If you were to build, you know, talked about, for example, building Atlanta Chattanooga, um, which is about 90 minutes drive time now. And mm-hmm. um, so we, you put a high-speed train up there. And then there's also a lot of political questions that enter into the, the conversation of, if you're to build Atlanta Chattanooga, well, does, again, if it's go over existing tracks, new tracks, there's a cost question to it. Um, where does it stop? How many stops does it make? Is there one stop in the middle? And then if there's, you know, one or two stops, who gets those stops? And so there's a lot of, it's 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 easy to, I guess, put it on, you know, put pen to paper and, and drop a, a chart and say, you know, here's what we're going to do, here's our plan, but to uh, make it come to fruition, I guess that's where uh,
0: It seems like so whenever life... you're trying to do something good for everybody, somebody tries to make a pain out of it. <laughs> no uh,
1: yeah. Particularly when you put politicians in the mix, it uh, becomes even uh, more interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Todd, I told you I was going to keep you 30 minutes and we're at 30 minutes and 40 seconds. So I'm going to say thanks for being with me today.
1: Absolutely. i um, have enjoyed the conversation and, uh, yeah, get, to, uh, get into railfanning and uh, you, know, you can always go to my site, railfanning.org. For more information, we get a lot of pictures, uh, videos, and uh, there's, there's so many ways to get involved in, uh, in railroads and railfanning.
0: Absolutely. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Todd.
1: Perfect. I appreciate it.
0: And thank you, the audience, for listening. All of Todd's books are available now at ArcadiaPublishing.com and wherever local books are sold. I would like to thank Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project, as always, for the show's theme song. And you can find them online at Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project or on Facebook and on Instagram. Have a question or show suggestion? You can reach me by email at Conversations at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I will talk with you again soon.